Good morning. Um, <clears throat> glad to see all of you here. And, uh, and if you're watching online, just a word, we will be uh, observing the Lord's Supper or communion at the end. So you can ignore me for a few minutes around in the kitchen and prepare something if you need to. Uh, so that you can join us, if not physically, at least with the heart. Um, so maybe you have heard um, the, the English proverb, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. The reality is no one ever uses that unless they've just been hurt by something that someone has just said to them. Um, it's true, words can't hurt us physically, but they can, they can wound us in a different way, right? Words are powerful, but not just to wound, but also to build, and to bless up, build up and bless. In our exploration in Proverbs, as we've looked at the different topics, we, uh, we looked at the first nine chapters altogether, and then as we started looking at topics, we started with the good and wise God, and then we looked at what, what does the good and wise person look like? What is that character? How does that show up in life? Last week, we talked about wisdom and wealth. Um, and uh, I didn't notice a big change in giving, so, you know, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, today we will look at wisdom and words. And this is a critical issue because most of it find it very difficult to control what we say. Or at least I do. You all, you look like you don't have any trouble with that. But I know, <laughs> I know I do. And this is not a new problem. Um, every chapter of the letter from James has some kind of rebuke or warning about what we say. So listen to what he says in chapter 3. He says, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. It's difficult to control what we say, and yet words are incredibly powerful. I think sometimes they're so busy talking that we don't think about how powerful our words are. When we think about God's words, it was by his word that God created the world. Every, by the, his word that he created everything that exists. He commanded, he spoke, and things that did not exist before began to exist simply because he spoke it. It was with words that Jesus calmed a storm and cast out demons and summoned Lazarus from the grave. And just to show you how powerful words are, you know, when Jesus did that, he said, Lazarus, come forth. If he hadn't said Lazarus, if he had just said, come forth, everybody would have come out. He just wanted Lazarus at that point, right? That's how powerful his words are. But our words are powerful as well, right? <clears throat> We've seen this in Proverbs, the many warnings about how the path to destruction often starts with a word. We're warned about the, the, the smooth speech of the adulterous woman or the enticing speech of the violent man. Those and, and others like them, they, that path to destruction starts often with a word. That's how the fall of humanity started, with a word. And when Simon Peter was accused of being a follower of Jesus, and he wanted desperately to protect his life 
And to prove that he was not a follower of Jesus, he did it not by a violent act, but by his words. So our words are incredibly powerful. They can motivate us. Coaches, teachers, leaders, writers, composers, heroes, loved ones, they all inspire us, right? They inspire us by their words. But motivation can go a different direction as well. It isn't always good. Adolf Hitler inspired a nation with his words. So they're incredibly powerful. Words can also wound, like a bully on a playground, like a poor leader who is constantly critical of, of those they lead. Or perhaps most tragically on a personal level, a parent or a spouse who, whose, whose words constantly, little by little, destroy the ones who instinctively trust them and their words. So Proverbs tells us a lot about the power of words. We read in chapter 18, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So be certain of this, our words have consequences for us and for those who hear us. Wise words are life-giving, as it says in Proverbs 10, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Wise words also bring joy, not just to those who hear, but to the speaker. For it says in 15, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply. And how good is a timely word. I don't know if you've had that sense before, since if you've spoken the right word at the right time, and there is, there is joy, excuse me, there is blessing in that. But foolish words also have an effect, the opposite effect. They bring destruction not only on those who hear, but on the one who speaks. It says in Proverbs 18, The mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. So being wise in the use of words, it doesn't always mean knowing the exact right thing to say. It doesn't mean always having the right answer, being the smartest person in the room. What it does mean is that as we learn the fear of the Lord, we walk with him, we learn over time to speak the appropriate truth at the appropriate time and in the appropriate way. That's true, and especially true even in hard conversations. We also see from Proverbs the value of wise words. We see this in chapter 20. Verse 15, it says, gold there is and rubies in abundance, but lips that speak knowledge are, are a rare jewel. And indeed they are, especially in our day. It seems like there is so much um, conflict and tension talking past one another. I'm just amazed I, at even looking at social media and that is limited. I, I don't, don't tweet. Uh, I think I have enough interruptions. Why sign up for them, right? So... Not that anybody would tweet me, but I don't think that's even how it works, is it? So I'm, I'm content in my ignorance there. Um, so I'll look, maybe Facebook, something like that. And I've got friends all across the spectrum on, on these issues. I've got the, the happy unvaccinated, the happy vaccinated, the militant vaxxed, and the villain, militant unvaxxed. And I just watch them, and I'm thinking, how are we friends? <laughs> you know, it's just, and it partly has to do with things beyond my control, like being born. And... Uh, and, you know, being in school with a bunch of rednecks. So that's okay. We need wise speech more than ever. Um, our, this age in which we live has used our expanding knowledge to conclude that God is no longer a relevant factor for our lives. He's pushed to the margin, and not just pushed to the margin as if he's some kind of benevolent grandfather, but now uh, actually faith in Christ is seen not just as something that is is marginal or irrelevant, it is seen as actually disgusting, something to be despised, something to be resented and repelled. It is something that people actually find repulsive. 
How do we navigate conversations with people who feel that way about Jesus, who died and rose again for us? Jesus who gave his life, Jesus who never uttered a lie, and yet died for liars like you and me. So especially in the last couple of centuries, this, this trajectory of using our knowledge, depending on our reason, to push God to the margins, decide that God is not only irrelevant, he's, he's the enemy, he's the problem. Faith in Christ is the problem. Um, it has filled people with, with angst about the meaning and purpose of life. It also seems like people are more fragile than ever before. We need our, our bubbles and our safe zones and and all of these things. And it's certainly true, people do struggle with real pain and they need real distance from real threats. That's true. But we live in a day when people see faith in Christ as actually the threat to their own personal well-being, well-being of those around them. This is an indication of how desperately we need people who can speak honestly, wisely, and graciously, and gently with those who disagree with them. Paul says in Colossians 4, we need to let our conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So how does Proverbs inform our quest for wise speech? Well, it involves not just speaking, but hearing, because that's communication is a two-way street. So let's look first at speaking wisely, and that first becomes an issue of when to speak. That is an issue of self-control, and the question to ask along this line is, is it worthwhile to say this. Now, I originally thought the, uh, it would be better to ask the question, is it necessary? But then you, you all, if in the, on the odd chance that any of you actually listen, you think, well, is what I'm about to say absolutely necessary for, for life? No, and you all just file out of here silently and never utter another word to anybody else. That's not the way it's supposed to work. So I think worthwhile is a better word. We need self-control. As we have seen so many times in our study of Proverbs, the issue is the heart. We must control ourselves. And often our initial impulse, often the first words that come to mind are not the best things. They're not the most worthwhile things to say. They're not the most helpful things to say. And we need self-control. So the first rule of speaking wisely is don't. <laughs> Just don't. It says in chapter 17, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint and whoever has understanding is even tempered. So it's, it's an odd paradox in life. It seems like the more someone knows that they're wise, the less compelled they feel to speak. They can, they can hold their tongue. The less someone knows, the more compelled they feel to speak. It's like I have said before about myself, I've never let a little thing like ignorance keep me out of a conversation, right? So <laughs> it doesn't keep me from speaking my mind. I don't have to know anything, right? I'd say that in jest. I don't want to be like that, seriously. And Proverbs tells us, if you want people to think you're wise, just be quiet. Chapter 17 says, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. It's like Abraham Lincoln said, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. And I learned this. I, and when I was in seminary, I had an off the charts, extroverted roommate, constantly talking all godly and stuff. And, and I thought, man, I, you know, I can't compete. Once he and I were talking and he said, you know, sometimes I just like silence. And I said, well, you know, that's the problem. You and I have a different definition of silence. I think silence means no one is talking. You think silence means nobody else is talking. And it's a great moment. Um, probably one of those things I shouldn't have said, but it's funny, right? So it works. 
But I thought, what, what do I do? And I read this first. I thought, all I have to do is be quiet. I don't have to say anything. I don't have to be smarter than him or eloquent than him. I just, and it helps if you look pensive too, right? So you're not just quiet, but look like you're thinking. People think you have things on your mind. Now, the problem is eventually they're going to ask for your opinion. And then you have to be ready. And you do have to say something that is worthwhile. But again, just we, we have to restrain ourselves. We have to just have a check at the door of our hearts to say, should I say this? Is this worthwhile? Will it help? So, especially in a conversation, as we read in chapter 18, to answer before listening, it is a folly and a shame. And in chapter 29, do you see someone who speaks in haste? That's somebody who speaks without thinking. There's more hope for a fool than for them. So think about all that we've read about the fool. There's more hope for that knucklehead than there is for somebody who speaks without thinking. So it's just a matter of, of thinking, checking the heart before we speak. And there are some specific areas that Proverbs warns us about in which we should excuse me, control ourselves, refrain from speaking. We should avoid first useless and careless speech. So it says in chapter 10, Whoever winks maliciously causes grief, and a chattering fool comes to ruin. Now, some people talk more than others, okay? And I thank God for you, because in many instances, if a conversation depended on me, there would be this awkward silence, okay? So I thank God you set me free from having to sustain a conversation. So bless you. But if this is you, as it is, as it would be with me, whether I say much or say little, before I speak, I should ask this question, is it worthwhile? Is it worthwhile? A second area we should guard against is making hasty commitments. Chapter in Proverbs 20, it says, it's a trap to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider one's vows. So again, it is thinking not just before speaking, but before making commitments, verbal commitments. That's true. We should not make promises hastily. Certainly should not make vows even more serious, like wedding vows. You just don't say those things because they matter. What we say matters. We should be people who are people of their word. We keep our promises. We keep our word. We honor our commitments. That means we don't make those commitments lightly. Another area is we should not betray a confidence. So in Proverbs 11, it says a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. So we should be people who can be trusted. If people trust us with their pain, we need to be trustworthy. When, if they ask us to keep something in confidence, we need to honor that. We need to respect that. There may be things you can't promise to keep in confidence. If someone starts something, they say, listen, I don't want you to tell anybody else. You, you might need to add some caveats. You know, if this is a, is this a criminal activity, is this abusive behavior, something that has to be reported, something that needs to be reported, that needs to be addressed. And sometimes, so you have to have wisdom in that area too. But in general, we should be people who are trustworthy. If someone thinks enough of us to share their pain with us, we have to take that as a, a trust from God and, and honor their confidence and not gossip and not use that against them, use that to destroy their reputation. Another thing we should avoid is slander. Don't slander. In Proverbs 10, whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander 
is a fool. Slander is making a false statement about someone that damages their reputation. You may think it's okay because, well, you think it's true. But you may think it's true because of the limited facts you know or because you are judging someone's motives that honestly are hidden from you. It's virtually impossible to discern motives. So don't slander. Don't gossip. Proverbs 16, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. That's casually speaking things about other people, whether they're true or not. It's harmful. It's destructive. Don't do it. Don't speak derisively of others. Proverbs 11 says, whoever derides their neighbor, that's just speaking ill of them, uh, constantly undue criticism, that kind of thing. Whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. So this means we should avoid speaking derisively of people, especially people who are different from us. It's very easy to do that. We should not do that. They may be different from us in terms of race, ethnicity, different strata of society, or make other lifestyle choices that are different from ours, even sinful choices. Still, we don't speak derisively of them. Jesus never did that. He addressed sin. He addressed it directly, but he did not speak derisively or cutting and mean toward people. He was direct, but he was not, was not mean. He still isn't. Everybody who walks in the door here ought to receive love and respect simply because they bear the image of God. Regardless of lifestyle choices, regardless of how different they are from us, they get love and respect simply because they, they are image bearers. Sin can be addressed. All of that's part of, of gospel ministry. But let's not speak derisively or make jokes against them, cutting remarks about others. Another area is don't stir up conflict. Proverbs 26 says, As charcoal to embers, and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. So you know people like this, right? Hopefully you're not one of them. Their presence and their words add emotional fuel to the fire, increase the tension and conflict with the things they say. They're, they're here to pick a fight. And that's hardly ever good. So a second category of wise speech, not only is it worthwhile... Not only is the issue of self-control, but there is the issue of honesty. Our speech should be honest. Self-control helps us to know when to speak. Honesty tells us what we should say. And that we ask a question, is it true? So Proverbs 12 says, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. And yet that moment might seem really long if someone has told a lie about you and that stays with you and pursues you. That, that, can be a very, that can be a very long moment. So we should be people who tell the truth, people who don't lie. Again, as the New Testament record is clear of Jesus, he told no lie. He always told the truth. He always spoke truly. He was not deceptive or devious. He spoke honestly and truly. So Proverbs 14 says, An honest witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies. So that's true not only in conversation, when we think of the commandment to not bear false witness of others, so in the way we speak to others, of others, but even in a legal setting of giving testimony in, in, that, in that day, you need to be someone who speaks the truth, whose words can be trusted. And then we are, uh, as we speak honestly, we are to encourage people, but not flatter. Proverbs 26 says, A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Notice that's not a contrast 
It doesn't say, but a flattering mouth works ruin. It's and the flattering mouth works ruin. That is, flattery is a form of lying. Now, there can be encouragement. The words might be similar, but the motivation is entirely different. Encouragement seeks to build up the person who hears. Flattery is for the speaker's benefit. I flatter you. I say something nice to you in order to get some benefit from you, in order to build myself up in some way. But encouragement truly builds up someone. It's true and honest and genuine. And then honest speech means we do not make empty boasts. So Proverbs 25 says, Like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts never given. So you get the idea, it's clouds and wind, you're looking for rain that will, that will uh, nourish and allow crops to grow, feed a family, but the, the clouds disappear and you're left with, with parts, crops, and famine. Now one place I see empty boasting is in the, the arena of missions. Now I am missionary, I confess, and so read about missions, I've taught missions, interact with others, who are serious about seeing the Great Commission fulfilled. And yet sometimes that desire to see the Great Commission fulfilled leads to reporting that is, well, it's misleading and it's exaggerated. And thankfully, those things are called to account as they're discovered. I I recall one guy who said uh, in his newsletter, 75% of the people engaged in our outreach are now in a small group. And his leadership, knowing the city and the context, thought, well, that's an odd thing to say. And they did a little probing and realized basically they'd invited four people to an event. Three showed up. Like, okay, it's true. <laughs> that is 75%. But that's not what you communicated in your, in your newsletter. It, uh, most of you know that church planting here in Prague is notoriously slow. I remember a church planter here a few years ago who saw him during the course of a week. He said, hey, last Sunday we had 27 people at our Sunday gathering. And I said, oh, that's great. And then I started thinking, because I'd been there, I knew who was involved, and I thought, okay, that's uh, your family of six, his family of five, their family of four. And I started thinking it was like, you know, half a dozen American families and two Czech people. Like, okay, you know, and you're counting kids and pets and lizards and spiders in the corner. It's like, come on, you had 27... That sounds great. And I know you're desperate to see Czech people come to Christ. But, you know, you just got to be honest. It's better to report honestly and to be clear than it is to make an empty boast. It always comes to light. And, and what happens then is it, as false reporting and empty boasting comes to light, it discredits you, it dis- discredits everybody who has believed you. So, so be honest in what you say. Now, there's a third category about speaking wisely. That is how we speak. That is, our speech should be kind. And there's a question with this. It is simply this. This, this deals with how we speak. Can, can it be said in a way that is helpful to those who hear? So this means from Proverbs that we are to speak with gentleness. For Proverbs 15 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You've seen this when you encounter someone who's angry. If you respond to them in anger, it just adds fuel to the fire. But if you, to think of the proverb we mentioned a few minutes ago, if you take, a wood, take wood off the fire, <laughs> if you don't respond in kind, if you respond with gentleness to someone who is anger, angry, it often can settle the situation down, can bring calm and peace, and you can move toward a, a solution, resolution. 
I'll give you a word of advice. Don't laugh if someone is angry. Um, I recall this from one of the places I worked, and, and uh, the, the boss was extremely angry, and I caught the brunt of that, and he was also kind of my friend, and I just started laughing, and that did not end well, I will tell you. Uh, he just didn't think I was taking him seriously, and he was a hard guy to take seriously, so that's the way it works. Um, we got past it, sort of. Haven't heard from him in years, odd. So, <laughs> funny. So we are to speak with gentleness. We are to speak with humility. There's a warning against pride in Proverbs 14. It says, a fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. So our speech should be marked by humility and not by pride, not by lashing out, but gentleness and by, by humility. Even beginning the phrase, you know, I could be wrong about this, because we often can be and sometimes are. And then the third area is to speak with grace. Proverbs 16 says, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And there are people around you with whom you and I interact, and they are wounded and sick by what they have been told, by words spoken to them, by things that have happened. And our words, gracious words, can be a means of healing and restoration to them. As we talk about this, we've talked about words. Our, our words should be, should be worthwhile. They should be honest. They should be kind. This applies especially to hard conversations, and, and those are unavoidable. If you're in relationships with people, there are eventually those times when hard conversations have to take place. And so, find in Proverbs 28, whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than one who has a flattering tongue. So sometimes the rebuke is necessary. It's hard. The hard conversations, the confrontations, the conflict, uh, for me it is extremely hard. I am by nature an avoider of conflict. <laughs> everything is fine. I just, all you need to do is tell me everything's fine. I don't care if it really is. I just can get through this day. It's not healthy. I admit it. I confess it. Sometimes rebuke and confrontation are necessary, but even then, especially then, it should be worthwhile, it should be honest, and it should be kind. It's not an attack. It's an attack. It's not on the person. It's on sin. It's on a problem. If it's done in a healthy way, again, worthwhile, honest, and kind, um, it can lead to understanding. It can lead to change. It can lead to reconciliation. Even though we're reluctant to enter these conversations, in the end, they lead to blessings. And often the one who has the courage to initiate this conversation is appreciated. But not always, but often that's the case. I've, I have been in those conversations where a person is, has just at the end said, thank you, I know we needed to talk about this. And sometimes I've been the one that's received the rebuke and said, thank you, I know we needed to have this conversation. And so it is, it is good. So we've talked about speaking wisely, but... Also, why wisdom and words also has to do with how we hear things. Um, and so there are words that come our way to which we should be receptive, and there are words we need to filter. So first, the words to accept, the words to receive. We should accept words of authority. So Proverbs 10 says, The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. That is, your response, your, your verbal response, response 
to people in authority over you in some way indicates your attitude toward authority. We have to have a right relationship with authority. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he tells them to be filled with the Spirit. It's interesting that many of the evidences of the Spirit are verbal, right? Uh, talking, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord. All of those things involve communication of word. The final fruit of of the final evidence of being filled with the Spirit of submission. It's a proper relationship to authority. And he works that out in, in home and work, that kind of thing. So wisdom makes us receptive to those in authority. Makes us, it gives us a right relationship to authority. So be careful how you speak, especially as it comes to those in authority. There are ways to present requests, to challenge those in authority over you in a good way, to ask questions, to see if if there are issues, again, communication that's, that's uh, worthwhile, honest, and kind, it can have an effect upward as well, so to speak, in terms of your workplace. Another thing we should receive is rebuke. We've already talked about this a little bit, but it says in Proverbs 25, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. So notice, this is not about giving a rebuke. This is about receiving it. Wisdom is shown in your response to a rebuke. And in chapter 27, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend. Notice again, this is what we receive. This isn't wounds to a friend. This is wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And again, we think of Judas betraying Jesus. How did he indicate the one he was betraying? It was with a kiss, right? Wounds from a friend can be trusted. And there are times when we have to trust those wounds and, and those difficult conversations have to come. We need to be open to those things. Understand that we don't have it all together. I, it may be a bit of a paradox. The wiser you are, the more you realize you don't have all the answers. And there is much that you do not know. And you must trust and be open to correction and rebuke. To be, because God has not seen fit to give us all knowledge because he wants us to walk together with each other, to learn from each other, who, those who have knowledge in, in different areas. So it's, it's good. So those are some things to accept, but there are also some things to filter. And by filter, I mean, there, you know, a filter catches things. There are some things, some of these things you'll reject, some of these things you'll evaluate and say, okay, that, that I can let in. So it's not just a straightforward rejection, but here are things to, to filter. You should filter lies. Okay, just filter those out, all right? <laughs> you, don't, don't let those in. Proverbs 17 says, a wicked person listens to deceitful lips. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. Now, it'd be nice if the deceitful lips and destructive tongue, you know, just had a sign. <laughs> it's like, I'm a liar, I'm destruction, you know, or maybe a big blinking arrow that says this way to destruction. Wouldn't that be great? But that's not the way it is. Lies always come with some kind of enticement, probably enough truth to get our attention and to, to make us interested. So... As you discover deception, filter it out. Tune it out, reject it. Don't pay attention to lies. Similarly, you have to listen past charming speech to recognize deception. In Proverbs 26, it says, Enemies disguise themselves with their lips, but in their hearts they harbor deceit. Though their speech is charming, do not believe them, for seven abominations fill their hearts. Their malice may be concealed by deception, but their wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. It will eventually come to light. But 
Often deception is masked behind charming speech. And so you have to listen to discern. Not, not all charming speech is deceptive. Some is good, some is healthy, some is wise. Let that in. So it just takes sometimes time and discernment and questions, ongoing conversation. It's all, not a, always an easy task. A third thing to filter out is gossip. Now, again, this is on the listening side of it. We've talked about not speaking gossip, but we also need to not listen to gossip. Proverbs 18 says, The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. You're with a colleague, you're with a friend, and they've got the latest scoop, and you're like, gimme, gimme, gimme. <laughs> right? You just, we want the information, we want the scoop, the latest, what's the latest and greatest. There is something in us that, that is hungry for this. And I would say to you, that can get a hold of your life and it can take you somewhere you do not want to go. So just filter out the gossip, don't accept it. We should refuse or reject, filter out a curse. Proverbs 26 says, like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. Many years ago, my uncle bought an old computer at a yard sale, flea market, something like that. This is like decades ago, okay? Computers were kind of a new thing. Pre-Windows, so this is DOS, if anybody remembers what that is. Computer working on command prompts, okay? So my uncle, who's, he was just a, a real character and a really funny guy. But he sets this up and he types some command and nothing happened. He types another command, nothing happened. He got mad, so he... He typed, go to hell, as a command. And the computer immediately responded, can't do that. Which, of course, made him laugh, because he thought that was the funniest thing. Well, you kind of have to have that same attitude, because people will say things to you, things about you, that will involve... I'm not just talking about foul words. I'm talking about evil intent, things meant to harm and destroy you. You know what? In Jesus, you are not cursed. It doesn't matter what someone says to you. In Jesus, you are blessed. And there is no curse that can overcome the blessing of knowing Christ. So whatever people say to you that might be harmful or destructive, you don't have to believe that. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to accept it. You cling to Christ and, and trust him. He will, he will deliver you. And then another, another thing to filter out is that we, we need to find healing from words that wound. So verse, chapter 12 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now notice it says, it is the reckless words that pierce. It's the reckless words that wound. How many times have you been wounded by someone's careless word? It wasn't that they entered the conversation intending to hurt you, intending to wound you. It just, it's the offhanded joke. I've, I've, you know, reading this has called to mind times when I've just made a, a careless joke that I didn't understand would be hurtful. And as soon as you see the expression on someone's face, you realize, oh, yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not what I intended. You know, I don't know if you've had this feeling of, of saying something that you think will be awesome, funny, whatever. It is like watching words leave your mouth and just wishing you could <laughs> pull them back in, but you can't unsay words. And I think that's why uh, we should avoid speaking carelessly because often it is our reckless words that unintentionally pierce and wound those around us. Um, and the words of others can discourage us. They can wound us. In some cases, if we let them, they can cripple us. You may have grown up in a verbally abusive family. You may, may be that you are or were in an, an abusive marriage where there is constant criticism. 
Um, you've been wounded by words in some other way. You need to know that in Christ you can find healing. You can find a way forward that acknowledges the pain of what has been spoken to you. But you don't have to be defined by those things. You don't have to see yourself as a victim. You can be healed from those wounds in the gospel by Christ. Um, in a similar way, I, I shared with you last week while we were uh, in the States for Christmas, Karen's mom died. And one of the things uh, that was to me was so instructive about her life is that she had grown up in an abusive home, just a horrible home life. And, and yet she not only escaped that, that terrible life, but managed to have a happy marriage and had two children that she did not abuse. She broke that cycle by the grace of God. And that cycle can be broken in your life as well. You don't have to be defined by, by words that have wounded you, by discouraging speech, by abusive and critical speech. You don't have to be defined by those things. You can, you can find healing in grace. Um, and yet we've all had them, right? I've, I've had a few of those things. I've told you I did construction work. Uh, I mean, you're going to laugh at how, how stupid this is. But I used to do construction work, and I remember one day I was helping the mechanic. And I was standing in the back of a dump truck, and he told me to do something. I honestly don't remember what it was, but it involved me doing something, some part with my hands. And I honestly just didn't understand what he was telling me to do. And he said, and let me just say I'm going to give you the, um, the clean version. <laughs> I'm going to take about half of what he actually said out of this. He said, you are the dumbest college boy I have ever seen. Now, college boy was an insult, okay? Because that was a, an insult for those who had been to college as, you know, moi. So whose knowledge was all theoretical, but had no skills for real life. So that was an insult. But I was outstanding even in that. Because I was not only a college boy who lacked the skills for real life, I was the dumbest one he'd ever seen. I don't like to feel stupid, but I felt stupid. And I mean, I graduated high school perfect marks, thought I was pretty smart. My, most of my university career was proving the difference between intelligence and wisdom because grades were okay, but I was a disaster. I probably did fit that stereotype, to be honest. But you know, I can look back. It's kind of like this scar I have on my finger when I was a kid. I, I locked my finger in a car door. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I hardly think about it. I thought about it, and, and uh, it came to mind as I was doing this. I have a little scar, hardly feel it. Think about it. I remember that day. Remember details about the day. Remember being with my mom, her walking into a store, me shutting the door of the car, seeing me yelling, her turning around through the store window, seeing me. You know, fingers cut, bleeding, we go to the emergency room. All of, I remember all of that, but I don't think about that often at all. And yet it's just there, okay? That doesn't define me. That, that statement that old mechanic said, it doesn't define who I am. Okay? It does tell me something about myself that I don't like feeling stupid. So I generally avoid that. That may surprise you. <laughs> uh, it is unavoidable sometimes. But it's there. It's, it's kind of like a scar over time. It's It's... You can live with that. It, it doesn't have to define you. It's just there. It's part of your history. But that's not who you are. So as we, we read and hear these Proverbs and we think, how can I become a person who hears and speaks wisely? It won't surprise you that I'll say it starts with the heart. As always, we've seen many times in Proverbs, it starts with the heart. Jesus said the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So wise words come from a wise heart. 
So we read in Proverbs 16, the hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent and their lips promote instruction. So this means if I want to have a wise heart, it means consistent time in God's word and in prayer, whether you're reading it or hearing it. It means cultivating the fear of the Lord in your own heart and life. There's just no substitute for this. God will use this to reorient your life, form your conscience, give you wisdom, and to change even the way you speak and interact with others from being foolish to being wise. Uh, Secondly, be a faithful envoy of God's wisdom, not your own. You see, the wisdom that we look for is not something that is already in us. It is something that we by nature lack. So Proverbs 13 says, a wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a trustworthy envoy brings healing. An envoy is not someone who brings their own message, but they bring someone else's message. And that is what we do. We are not the source of wisdom. We are channels of wisdom. We are messengers of wisdom. We are envoys of wisdom. Our goal is not to gather enough information so that we know all the answers, but to know Christ well and proclaim him to others in ways that are worthwhile and honest and kind. And thirdly, stay gospel-centered. Proverbs 15 says, Light in a messenger's eyes brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. Well, that's true of good news in general, but we have the ultimate good news in Christ. And the wisdom that we share with people, it is not therapy, it is not advice, it is not a program at its core, it is news. It is an announcement of, not of what someone must do, but of what God has done for us in Christ, what the wise God has done for all of us fools. His wisdom reaches its climax in the death and resurrection of Christ, and in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This turns worldly wisdom on its head. So bring the gospel to bear on every situation. Again, spend time in God's word to understand how that looks, daily life. Now, as I prepared this message today, I've recalled times I've spoken foolishly, times I've listened to wrong, hurtful messages. Perhaps you feel the weight of foolish things spoken or heard. Perhaps you're here and carry the wounds of, of words spoken to you. And as we transition to a time of communion, this is really a perfect time to give those things over to Jesus. As we take communion, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for the power of your words and in your Um, wisdom enable us to speak words that also have power and effect on people sometimes to ill effect sometimes to good effect or our our desire is to be people who are trustworthy who speak wisely of wisdom that comes not from us but from you so we pray for pray for myself for my friends here today for those listening online that you will help us just to follow hard after you that you will indeed make us wise, that you will grant us listening and speech that is worthwhile and honest and kind. And as we take the bread and cup today, we remember the price you paid to make this possible. And we say to you, our hope Jesus is in you. This life and the life to come, have mercy on us. Pray that you will draw us close, help us find the healing, freedom, forgiveness that we need in this moment, please. In Jesus' name, amen.